0: It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, there's only one possible lead story making news around the world. Story number one Israeli government, Hamas, announcing late last night, U.S. time, that they would make a deal, a brief ceasefire in Gaza to allow the release of 50 of Hamas's hostages. Now, earlier last night, Benjamin Netanyahu put out a statement urging his war cabinet to approve the deal. And I'm thinking, okay, even though there are some opposition voices in that war cabinet, under the situation, given the enormous pressure to get some of the hostages freed, there's no way that the cabinet is going to turn this down. And that turned out to be right. And then Netanyahu announced it in a WhatsApp message. A pause of four days in fighting in Gaza in exchange for those 50 hostages. And another 150 Palestinian prisoners held by Israel would be released. Now, I just want to stop here and say this. Don't fall into the trap. Don't buy the Hamas propaganda that this is a grand humanitarian gesture. It's not. During this four-day ceasefire, and there are all kinds of conditions, um... Hamas will do everything it can to regroup, to, if the ceasefire holds, to put itself in a better position to fight the Israeli war machine. And Netanyahu is saying that. We need to get as many hostages out as we can. So he's paying a price. He knows that this will benefit Hamas militarily. Um, Then he turns around and says, but after the four-day ceasefire, we will resume our effort to destroy Hamas. So trying to play to two different audiences in the sense that, you know, I'm not really sure Netanyahu wanted to do this. He was pushed, as I'll get to in a second. But enormous, enormous political pressure to get some hostages free. These will be women and children, some of them babies. Toddlers. In fact, they will be Israelis, but the uh, Biden White House saying there'll be three Americans released, uh, a couple and a toddler. So let me just stop right there, because I think it just gets lost in the blur of day to day. You know, for days now, there have been banners up on the screen, sources, sources. Um, hostage deal imminent. Sources, hostage deal any moment now. And, you know, I'll just invoke Yogi Berra. It ain't over till it's over. And I didn't understand why with such fraught negotiations, not directly, but Cutter was the go-between for both sides, that What's lost here is this is a barbaric nation that holds civilians hostage. I think that's just, you know, because so many atrocities were uh, committed by Hamas fighters on October 7th, killing, murdering, slaughtering people of all ages. The hostages, I wouldn't say were a secondary story. You know, imagine the reaction in this country. If we were attacked and 240 Americans were held hostage, there would be enormous pressure as well. There'd be relatives in, interviewed every day. Uh, and that's the balancing act. But think about this. This is a country that takes toddlers as hospitals. That is savagery. And that's why... I don't give Hamas any credit here. This is purely so it can get the ceasefire and get some of its its prisoners home. Oh, listen to um, Hamas's uh, statement here. After many days of difficult and complex negotiations, we announced with the help and blessing of God, we have reached a humanitarian truce. With the help of blessing and blessing of God. Do you really think God would approve of the tactics that Hamas uses? Certainly, the death toll in Gaza has gotten alarmingly high, and that's a tragedy, including many civilian families. But Israel, with advance notice, with leaflets, with all that, tries to avoid or at least minimize the killing of innocent human beings. For Hamas, it's its whole reason for being. To kill as many Jews as possible and eradicate the state of Israel. By any means necessary. So this is what puzzled me. Uh, Netanyahu's office said, the release of every 10 additional hostages will result in an additional day in the pause. He calls it it a pause. Um, Well, Hamas could seize on that. Let's just say Hamas decided to release another 100 hostages, which would still leave them with about 90. They could release 10 hostages every day, and yet, Another ten days of a ceasefire? Fourteen total? I I don't understand why Bibi would go with that, but maybe that was is also sort of a, a side agreement. I don't know. And so You know, it's it's I'm sorry, it's hard to talk about this without getting emotional. Because There's just so many outrages here on so many levels. And again, Hamas deserves zero applause. This is precisely why they took 240 hostages, to use them as bargaining chips to try to get what it otherwise could not get from Israel. Now, New York Times reporting that a secret cell of top aides to President Biden worked furiously over the past several weeks on these various negotiations. There's also involved Egypt. And according to unnamed White House officials, I see, they one saying that the, uh, confirming that the three Americans, two women and a toddler, I'm sorry, uh, would be among those released. And so... Democrats, as you know, are increasingly divided, not just over Biden's handling of the war, but over Israel's handling of the war. And a lot of young people blame Israel for all this. Never mind that Israel was attacked. Never mind that Israel's enemies use detestable and despicable tactics. Never mind that Hamas took these civilian hostages. Uh, But this also could lead to more of a a riff. Biden has publicly and privately tried to convince the prime minister to pause the bombardment of Gaza to allow in humanitarian aid and reduce civilian casualties. Now, here's Brett Stevens, conservative columnist from The New York Times, doing something I bet he's never done before, quoting Hillary Clinton. Remember, she said in a recent interview, there was a ceasefire on October 6th that Hamas broke by their barbaric assault on peaceful civilians and their kidnapping, their killing, their beheading, their terrible, inhumane savagery. Those three words that Hamas broke aren't trivial. They give the lie, says Brett Stevens, to the ceasefire now mirage or imposture. That has become a rallying cry at pro-Palestinian demonstrations. They were at the heart of what the war is about and the key to how it can end. And they are the bright dividing line between those who allow Hamas to get away with murder and those who would refuse. That's not just an expression, get away with murder. Why should it matter that it was Hamas that broke the ceasefire when Palestinian civilians are being killed in large numbers by Israeli bombs and bullets? Those saying it shouldn't matter argue the questions of culpability become secondary. if not irrelevant when kids' lives are stay- at stake. If Israel has the power to save those kids by halting its campaign, goes the argument, it has a moral obligation to do so. But wait, doesn't Hamas also have the power? Hamas has a long record of firing those rockets from the vicinity of schools, I would add hospitals. Um where they, they have different command and control centers, it has sought to prevent ordinary Gazans from obeying evacua- evacuation orders, deliberately putting them at increased risk. It hides in a vast network of tunnels while civilians must fend for themselves above ground. Think about that. Hamas hasn't done any of these things to make it, to protect its own people. In fact, it deliberately endangers its own people, literally using them as human shields this is my take and stevens uh, ends the column by talking about all the things that hamas could do hamas has done none of these things isn't shocking it's a terrorist death cult hey let's pause right there the buzz meter continues right after this all right let's move on to story number two this is fascinating when donald trump left the white house says the New York Times. Democrats didn't want to hear another word from him. President Biden dismissed him as the former guy. Remember that? Party-wide consensus held that he was best left ignored. Now, three years later, Biden's re-election campaign and Democratic officials across the party spectrum have landed on a new solution to Biden's political slump. More Trump. I would add the media. More Trump. Definitely want more Trump. And now look, I mean, it's newsworthy that Trump is having this New uh, York-based civil trial. It's newsworthy that he will be tied up in court in at least one of those four criminal cases. And it's newsworthy that he is by far the leading candidate for the Republican nomination for president. All right, back to this piece. Criticizing the news media for giving Trump a platform is out. Quietly pining for major networks to again broadcast live coverage of Trump campaign rallies is in. Behind the improbable longing for the foreign president to gobble up political oxygen, again, is the Democrats' years long dependence on the Trump outrage machine. Absolutely, positively true. Trump has been a one man Democratic turnout operation, uniting an otherwise fractured opposition, fueling victories in three straight election cycles, including this year. Now Democrats worry that the fever of Trump fatigue has passed. I need to still some Trump fatigue out there. And that some voters are softening toward a man they once loathed. Many others simply may be paying attention or little attention as Trump's share of the daily national conversation has diminished, I would argue not in recent weeks, Despite the occasional interruption of campaign trail, uh, pronouncements like his recent vow to root out political opponents like vermin, which we've talked about in all the Hitler references. But while Trump is likely to rise in public consciousness as the election approaches, it's far from certain he'll sabotage himself politically. It remains unclear whether his criminal trials will make him more toxic— among moderate and swing voters or whether weeks of courtroom appearances will make his presence more muted. Meanwhile, Biden's efforts are meeting limited success. I mean, he's just, his numbers are just in the toilet. And this war, I think is part of the reason His campaign has little to show for a $40 million advertising push promoting his economic record, the Bidenomics strategy. He's fallen sharply, according to that recent New York Times poll, in key swing states, but not just in swing states, among black and Hispanic voters. Here's a quote from a Biden campaign spokesman. The more the American people are confronted with who Donald Trump is, a dangerous, extreme, and erratic man who only cares about using the power of the government to help himself and his friends, the more they reject him. We'll continue to highlight and so forth. Okay. Amar Musa is the Biden campaign spokesman. I never heard of the guy. He's doing his job. But we shouldn't be hearing from Amar Musa. We should be hearing from Joseph R. Biden Jr. That's what has impact. All right, moving right along. Story number three. This is mind-blowing. It's incredible. It's the biggest corporate... What can I say? Uh, It's the biggest corporate malfeasance... Not in the criminal sense. It's the biggest corporate idiocy that I have ever seen. You know how we used to use the example of New Coke as a colossal example of a stupid management decision? This has it beat a hundredfold. Sam Altman was reinstated yesterday as OpenAI's chief executive completely reversing his firing by OpenAI's board just last week. So just let me simplify this. This guy is hugely respected force, co-founder of the company AI. And what happened is the board members that didn't like him, and what was basically a personality clash, as I suspected all along, Conspired to fire him out of the blue, as well as another top executive. It was a coup. But Sam Altman staged a counter coup. He forced this company to take him back. Now, I know he was supposed to go to Microsoft, but that deal wasn't quite done. Just listen to these details. So, Basically, Altman is getting rid of some of the directors, or perhaps all of them, who were responsible for sandbagging him. OpenAI said on Twitter, it has an agreement in principle for Altman to return. We are collaborating to figure out the details. Thank you so much for your patience. Well, thank you so much for entertaining us with this Keystone Cops effort to get rid of the guy who is the company. And this is the guy who invented chat GPT, which has led to a complete redoing of artificial intelligence, is used by, I don't know, untold millions, and it's just started. Altman saying on X, I love OpenAI. Everything I've done over the past few days has been in service of keeping this team and its mission together and look forward to um, reinforcing the partnership with Microsoft, which is the biggest investor, $13 billion. So there's already some names for the new revamped board of directors. And Microsoft actually supports this move, or says it did, because it's ineffective, losing his services. But chief executive of Microsoft saying he's encouraged by the changes to the OI board calling it an essential first step on a path to a more stable, well-informed, and effective governance. So you know that Altman is going to work probably even more closely with Microsoft. But here's what sealed the deal. Altman was so much the heart and soul of OpenAI that 700, more than 700 employees out of 770 signed an open letter telling the board they will walk out and follow Altman to Microsoft if he's not reinstated. I mean, that would have collapsed the company. Even if half of them carried out that threat, that would have collapsed the company. You could, you could buy the stock for a penny. I'm not, not sure it's publicly traded. But anyway, Sam Altman gets the last laugh Without firing a shot, <laughs> certainly uh, without resorting to violence, it was a bloodless coup. He pushed out those who pushed him out. is going back in his new role, more famous than ever, because I don't think Sam Moulton was a household name, but he was certainly a legend, is a legend, in the tech industry. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Right, story number four. So the Washington Post just takes a step back at the House conservatives, you know, very small margin. Talked about that Chip Roy speech, Texas congressman who said, name me one thing, one thing that Republicans have done. So what the House, most conservative House members want is steep and immediate cuts to federal spending. Despite all the chaos in their own party and the turmoil they've brought to government, little in the federal budget has changed. Since Republicans took control of the House in January, a small group of far-right lawmakers forced the longest speaker nomination contest in modern history, paralyzed legislation on the House floor, threatened to breach the U.S. barring limit, then deposed Speaker Kevin McCarthy for working with Democrats to fund the government. And yet for all that, this is fascinating and it's worth, you know, having a 30,000 foot view. Federal government is currently spending the same amount as it did before the House Republicans took office. Obviously, I think I saw a quote from one of the members who said, well, you know, we got to back Mike Johnson now because he came in. Oh, it was J.D. Vance from Ohio. So he came in, it's like the Cincinnati Bengals being down three touchdowns. He had to salvage the situation. Question then becomes, but because it's the same thing. He was bailed out by all but two Democrats on another one of these stopgap funding bills. So what happens in January and February when Mike Johnson has said, oh, but we've had it with these CRs, continuing resolutions and then there'll be a, a a real battle another battle the endless battle about uh, whether to cut spending but you know the democrats view is that deal was cut between the Biden White House democrats and Republican's under speaker McCarthy back in the spring and that's the deal that they want to stick to a uh, little more politics here talking about Crazy, dumb, stupid, and idiotic things as I was just mere moments ago in talking about open AI, getting rid of Sam Altman. Okay. A website supporting Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ran a poll, I'll put poll in air quotes, and published an article on the not-so-breaking news that his rival, Nikki Haley's parents, immigrated to the U.S. and named her Nimarada. I'd have to just stop right there. Nikki Haley, who is of Indian American heritage, has never hidden the fact that her parents were immigrants. And she's certainly never hidden the fact of her real name. I mean, this is unbelievably dumb. So as she is getting a lot of good press and passing him in some polls, the DeSantis, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, of course, a conservative website called the Florida Standard conducted an obviously unscientific poll. I, I shouldn't even have called it a poll. On Twitter, about Haley, whose name was Nimrata Nikki Ronhawa until she married and took her husband's last name. But this Florida Standard left out her middle name, that that's part of her real name, Nikki. Did you know that Nikki Haley's parents are immigrants from India, and her birth name is Nimarada Ranhawa? Excuse me for m- bungling that. Polls has been used more than 400,000 times. 7,000 people voted. But it's, of course, people who follow this conservative website. The headline actually was, it sounds like a Saturday Night Live kind of headline. It sounds like uh, the Babylon Bee. Republicans shocked after discovering Nikki Haley's real name. Again, Nikki is her middle name. She's never hidden that. She's never hidden the fact that she had an Indian name because her parents are from India. This is this is so flippant. It's it's it reeks of desperation. And I guess Ron Dent Santos can't disavow it, but he should. Okay. Story number five, talking earlier about Mike Johnson, the new speaker. Well, on Monday night, and this was not public, um, He went down to Mar-a-Lago and visited Donald Trump. That was the first time he's gone to see Trump since his sort of shock election as Speaker of the House, which was just last month. And, you know, I think Mike Johnson, agree with him, disagree with him, um, is proving to have a pretty high level of political skill, even though it's a kind of an impossible job, as we learn when several people, prominent, more prominent Republicans couldn't get elected speaker. So he goes down to Mar-a-Lago. He knows he needs Trump support. He's already facing criticism from the, his hard-right allies. And... Source convert, uh, confirming the private meeting on condition of anonymity. Trump's influence over Washington spending f- fights may be limited, but Johnson's decision to meet with him is a sign that, you know, look, he can't afford to have Donald Trump weighing in publicly against him and hardening the right wing opposition. Now he's done other things. He announced he's publicly releasing surveillance video of the January 6th attack, which many conservatives want to use to show that there were a lot of people who were just strolling around. You know, you can selectively edit anything. That was a horrible, awful day in which many members of Congress, their lives were in danger, and it could have turned out much worse. Uh, but for some brave brave Capitol police officers. Also, last week, the new speaker officially endorsed Trump. Kevin McCarthy wouldn't do that. He did say that, he did say predicted that the foreign president will be the nominee and would be reelected, but he didn't say, I endorse Donald Trump. Now, there was a report in the New York Times, but back in 2015, when he was a member of Congress, Johnson posted on social media saying Trump was unfit to serve. Here's the quote. I wrote this on Facebook. The thing about Donald Trump is that he lacks the character and the moral center we desperately need again in the White House. Okay, that was then. This is now, all is forgiven. A lot of people said a lot of bad things about Donald Trump when he was first running and nobody really thought he was going to win. But it was kind of a stunt, really, which most definitely it was not. Uh, But in any case, you know, I mean, Ted Cruz and other Lindsey Graham. used extraordinarily harsh language against his opponent, Donald Trump. And since became his, you know, probably best friend in the Senate and golfing buddy. So, you know, politicians can have short memories when it's in their interest. However, you know, Johnson is facing all the same problems, which is evident to anybody who has even a passing knowledge of how things work on Capitol Hill. Hey, uh, a little behind the scenes, yesterday I came into the Washington Bureau to do a package for a special report, a news package, which is online now, by the way, if you're interested, about, I guess I should say what it's about, right? <laughs> about Elon Musk actually suing Media Matters, the left-wing advocacy group. And I did a lot of research. We found uh, quotes from... The head of media matters when I say quotes, sound bites that we're able to use in the piece, and a sound bite from the head of the ADL, with whom Musk has also tangled, all over his endorsement of an anti-Semitic tweet that has really hurt X, and had a lot of has a lot of big name corporations bailing out his advertisers, as I've mentioned, IBM. Disney, Comcast, Apple. But then I had a little problem. The video system that we use crashed. And it had crashed for about three hours, which meant I could make all the attempted television that I wanted, but it couldn't get ingested into the system, I think is the word we use. So... A little before 4 o'clock, and we had a bunch of IT people working on this. Remember, Special Report airs at 6 Eastern. They fixed the problem. Meanwhile, we're saying, okay, do we have to go live? Can we still get the video up? I mean, it, and it wasn't just me. I mean, nobody would be able to do a recorded package on Special Report or for any other show that didn't get this fixed. I commend the people for getting it fixed. It was kind of a a tense day. Um, And, you know, you never know with television. You just never know. It it looks seamless on the air. Usually there's so much that can go wrong. Um, Very happy to have everything working because we are completely tearing up media buzz right now to deal with the hostage deal and the coverage of the hostage deal. And a lot more, so you can see that on Fox, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And a programming note, which is one of the reasons I'm teasing media buzz a little early in the week. I will take off tomorrow, Thanksgiving, and I will also take off the day after Thanksgiving. I've got family coming in. So I'll still be working on the show. But I'm going to take a little break from the podcast. Many of you also do other things. Have a great Turkey Day. Have a great four-day weekend, if that's what you're looking at. And as far as this little piece of the media firmament, I'll be back here Monday. See you then. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music.